Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. morning church it's such a joy to see everyone here this morning and I just want to welcome everyone and those who are seated up there and uh, those who are watching from home and it's a beautiful day I was a bit worried about the weather but they said there would be thunderstorm but thank God uh, I, I, I see that the storm is not going to come at least till two o'clock in the afternoon so we can have a good time of fellowship even after church so so I just want to welcome everyone and as I have said uh, always uh, from the time we started the series, I love to call this uh, Tour de Colossae. We are going through the book of Colossians and uh, I hope you are enjoying the journey and today we are on the 16th day of our tour. 16th day of our tour. Uh, just a moment. There are seats in the front, please, if those who want to come. There are, there are a few seats here. So anyway, uh, so I'm truly excited that we can go this uh, journey together and I, if you have your Bibles I want you to turn to chapter 3. Today we are going to look at only three verses, verses 9 to 11, the passage that you heard being read today. Again it's more preaching than teaching today so I, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 verses 9 to 11. Just to give a context so that we are all on the same page, we are traveling together, Paul is writing to a church facing troubles from heretical teaching, false teachers. So Paul is exhorting them to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first two chapters, it say, he, Paul sets the stage showing that how the teachings of Christ and Christ himself are superior to all other claims. Now as he enters into chapter 3, it's transitioning to practical matters within the church. So even in chapter 3, Paul begins with an uplifting theme of, he, he is telling that you must seek and set their minds on things above. Where Christ is seated on the right hand of God, where their life is now hidden in Christ God. That's what he starts in chapter 3. And after speaking of the doctrine, Paul spells out how their behavior should change. That's why I gave the title, Kill your sin before it kills you. So we, it's a three-part series, and we have done two parts. The part one was uh, taken from verses 5 to 7, where Paul tells them that they should kill or put to death. He uses very strong language there. Sexual immorality and greed. And we looked at it about two weeks ago. Last week, we looked at part two, so Paul again spells out one sin which is so much personal as social, which is committed directly against other people. It was the problem of anger. And we looked at it last week. And today is part three. We're going to look at verses 9 to 11. So we look at another sin, which is also not so much personal as social. Again, this is committed directly against other people. That's what we're going to look at today. 
So before we do that, I want to uh, share with you an incident that happened to the pastor. So one day a pastor told the congregation, next week, I plan to preach about the sin of lying, the pastor said. So in preparation for this, I want all of you to take time to go through Mark chapter 17 and come prepared. So the following Sunday, everybody was in the church and the pastor asked the question now, how many of you managed to go through Mark 17 and everybody put their hands up? And the pastor smiled and said, Mark has only 16 chapters. So now I will proceed with the sermon of on sin, of the sin of lying. So with that being said, I just want to dive into today's text as we start this. And uh, this passage was read to you, so I'm not going to read it again. But as you always know, I've, I've exhorted you, I've told you that when you want to study a text, it's important that you break it down into thought units and give a title for that. So I tried to do that for this passage. So if you, if you come along with me, I've just broken it down from verses 9 to verse 11. I hope you can read that in small light letters there. Now, we see that do not lie to one another. And Paul has been talking about things that they should not do. So I call this the plague. Paul is saying, you know, this plague, you have to get rid of this plague. And then he says, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, he is telling you about your position now. You are no more an old man, you are a new man. And then as you read verse number 10, the second part, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So Paul is talking about the progress of this new man. That's how I, I see it. And last but not least, the Paul talks about where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythians, slave nor free. It's a partnership with different people. We are going to dive into that in much detail. But today, first, let's start by looking at the plague. So, what are the plagues that Paul is talking about here? Now, we looked at earlier, in, uh, two weeks ago, the sexual immorality and greed. And then last Sunday, we looked at anger and now lying. Now, Paul says, do not lie. Church, the truth is, we all, every one of us, as holy as we may appear to be, we all struggle with saying the truth but nothing but the truth. We all have issues with that. So in our text, Paul explains as believers who committed your life to the Lord, we must be truthful. So let's look at verse number 9. As you look at verse number 9, do not lie to one another. So after warning them about sexual immorality and greed and anger, Paul says, do not lie. And interestingly, Paul gives the reason why you, the believers, starts with the saints in Colossae, and it applies to us, the saints at Seekers, the saints in Mississauga, or in Ontario, or in Canada, in the world, the saints, the believers, why you should not lie. And he says, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and put on the new man. 
So in other words, simply put, because you are a different person, do not lie. That's what Paul is saying here. So Paul is saying, get, get rid of this plague because of your position in Christ. You are not the same person anymore. That's what Paul is saying. So first, let's talk about this plague. Now, most of us would probably be offended if someone comes to you and tells you, calls you a liar, or questions your faithfulness or truthfulness. We would say, you know, I know I have problems, but lying is not one of them. We will deny it. The truth is we all struggle constantly to be truthful. And if you say that you are not lying or struggling, then you are not being truthful today. Every one of you, even in the Bible, as you go through the scriptures, we can find some men and women of God lied. We see that Abraham lied, claiming Sarah was his sister instead of his wife. And we, we know that Sarah lied to the three angelic visitors. He says, I did not laugh. And we see that Sarah also lied to the king of Jerah because he said, Abraham is my brother. And we see that Isaac lied by denying that Rebekah was his wife, fear of his own life. And we know that Rebekah and Jacob lied to defraud Esau. So let me walk you through some ways that we lie. Let me walk you through that. First of all, the first lie is called the half-truth. It's a lie of omission. You tell the truth as far as you go, but you just don't tell the whole truth so that you convey a false impression. Church, as I go through this very quickly, I want you to see which one relates to you. Because it, something should relate to us. Half-truth. Now, Abraham did this when he said that Sarah, about Sarah, that she is my sister. The fact of the matter is, Sarah was his half-sister. Half-truth. Half-truth. But he concealed the relevant point that she was also his wife. So that's the problem that he is. That's the first one that we see. And the second problem or type of lies is exaggeration. You stretch the truth a bit to make yourself look better than you really are. Now, exaggeration is enhancing a truth by adding lies to it. It's a mix of truths and untruths so that it looks impressive to others. Here's the problem. An exaggerator can weave truth and lies together, causing confusion even to himself or herself. And eventually, the researchers are saying that the problem is this. After a while, the exaggerator begins to believe his own lie. Thirdly, we white lies. Heard this term, white lies. These are little untruths that supposedly don't hurt anyone. Now, you could easily go for a Bible study or a prayer meeting, but you have planned to have prayer friends in your house. Or you have planned to do something else, watch a movie or something like that. But when I make a call, you say, Pastor, I have a headache. My back is hurting. I need to sleep. 
I'm not saying that's... You may be telling the truth, but you can also be lying. Look at the mirror when you go home. Or sometimes, you know, if you had to write letters of recommendation, and many people ask me for testimonies, whether I was in the professional world or, or, a, or as a pastor, sometimes it's hard. You have to say some white lies. Then you have the lies of hypocrisy. That's where we try to make others think that we are more spiritual than we really are. For example, you tell somebody, the other morning in my quiet time, what do you take from that? You will think that every morning I have a quiet time. It makes it sound as if I have quiet time every single day when the truth of the matter is, maybe that was the only day in the week I had a quiet time. I'm, I think I'm not telling you the lies, but it is lies of hypocrisy. It is, say, with intention of misleading people. Then we have the silent lies. This is where someone says something complimentary about you, which isn't true, but you let it go. Silent lies. Then we have what's called the evasive lies. Now these are evas these are where you can ch you where you can you ch I'm so, beg your pardon where you change the subject without answering the question, leaving a false impression. Evasive lies. And then you can have the polite lies. Where you say something nice but untrue to avoid hurting other person. Somebody's coming in, you know, their dress or the, their, their, their clothing or their outfit, attire is not good, not suitable for the occasion. You don't want to hurt the person. Oh, you look great. Within you, you turn back and say, look at that person. Polite lies. You go to somebody's house and you don't like the way they make tea, because I'm particular about tea. And then you say, I just had a cup of tea. Polite lies. Because you don't want to hurt the other person. And then the, the last one I looked at is a cover-up lies. You say this to avoid conflicts. You know your co-worker has just gone for early lunch and the boss comes and asks, where's your co-worker? Oh, he just stepped out to the bathroom. Cover-up lies. You know, there can be many more and I'm not, I don't have the time to do, go through that. But I'm sure that we all have failed miserably in these areas. But the entire Bible, including our text, makes plain that we, as believers, must be truthful. So let me be clear on this, please. This does not mean, please understand this, that we must share all our thoughts, our secrets, and be, and be brutally honest about everything that's happening in our homes. That's what that means. The scripture says we must speak the truth in love. Again, the scripture says that love covers a multitude of sin. So what do you take from this church? It implies that we should not broadcast everything we know about someone. That's what it means. The Bible acknowledges that there are rare ethical dilemmas. I'll give you an example. When the Hebrew midwives lying to protect the Hebrew baby boys from Pharaoh's murderous edict, that was a lie, you can challenge it. And when Rahab tried to, uh, tried to protect the Hebrew spies, 
that was a lie we can challenge you but let me give you a biggest challenge for you to think about at home and we are going to look at that at a bible study later on here's the passage when the lord told samuel i want you to go and anoint david as king samuel was very scared he was scared to go because he was afraid of his life because king saul if he hears this that while i am king you are coming to anoint who Samuel may be killed. Now here's what the Lord said. The Lord told Samuel to tell David's family that he had come to offer a sacrifice. Wow. Which he did although it wasn't the real reason for coming. 1 Samuel chapter 16. You can make a note and we'll look into that later. But these kinds of situation are infrequent. Let us discuss this in one of our Bible studies, please. But please take note of the passage. But Paul, what Paul says here in our text, is hits us all. Do not lie to one another. It'll help us understand why Paul says, "Do not lie to one another." If we can answer the question, "What happens when we lie?" If we truly understand what happens every time we lie. There are many but for lack of time I just want to mention three that are relevant to our study for today. Look at this passage. As Paul goes on, Paul says in verses 9b the second part since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. So what we take from this church, Paul says the reason we should not lie because we have a new position that's why we shouldn't lie and i'm going to come back to that in detail but with this keep that in your mind and and with this just come along as i walk through and try to answer the question what happens when you lie as a believer as a new man what happens when you lie this will scare you trust me first of all when we lie let me tell you what will happen we imitate the devil look at this in john chapter 8 the lord says you are you are of your father the devil you desires of your father you want to do uh, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it church it is not exaggerating to say the devil is the inventor of lies because he uttered the first lie when he told eve she will become like god if she eats from the tree he distorted the truth that brought sickness and death into the perfect world god created jesus said all liars are devils offspring because when we lie we distort the truth like the devil did back in the garden of eden when we lie we carry out the devil's will and we can no longer say that god is our heavenly father so in your new position as a child of god you cannot imitate the devil it's contrary to your position it's contrary to your position secondly when we lie what happens is look at this passage it's an abomination to the lord look at this 
These six things the Lord hates. Yes, a servant are an abomination to him. A very proud look, a lying tongue. In Hebrew, the term abomination is rendered in a sense of ceremonial uncleanness. In the Old Testament, people other than Jews were considered unclean and any uncircumcised. You know, when you say uncircumcised is a symbol of impurity as far as they are concerned. So uncircumcised Jews were also considered unclean and aliens among God's people. So likewise, the lies we tell actually affect our relationship with God. Because lying makes us spiritually uncircumcised and unclean. So it brings us to a state in what we cannot call ourselves God's children anymore when we lie. So in our new position, as a child of God, we cannot be an abomination to God. It's contrary to our new position. Thirdly, when we lie, we are eternally condemned. Eternally condemned. Look at this passage. Revelation 21. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Church, this verse tells us that eternal damnation is the total sum of all the consequences of these people mentioned here in this passage. And liars are one of them. That's what you saw here, see here. So if we lie, we shall never enjoy eternity in God's presence. Scary, isn't it? But suffer in the lake of fire, as this passage tells us, because lying, we, when we chose to, we not belong to God's people. We adapted a lifestyle that does not fit our calling and chose to be the children of the devil. But we are children of God. That's what Paul is saying. And so in your new position as a child of God, we are, we are not eternally condemned because it's contrary to our new position. So church, in essence, Paul is saying this plague of lie you're talking about lead you to imitate the devil it is an abomination to the Lord, and you are eternally condemned. But let's look at verse 10 now. The transition from the plague to the position of these saints. Verse number 10. Since you have put off the old man with deeds and have put on the new man. The word since is crucial here. Paul says you must not lie because since you hold a new position. You are a new man. You are not the old man anymore. So Paul tells the church of Colossae, when they have put off the old self with its practices, you become a new man, a new creation. That's what Paul, when he wrote to the saints in Corinth, that's what he says. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So he intends to say here, if you lie now, it's like taking off the clean clothes that God has put on you and putting back on that are dirty, which is inappropriate. So when we lie, we put on our old and sinful self once again. It's inappropriate for us 
because we are new creation in Christ is contrary to our position. The old man, old self is what we were by nature as fallen children of Adam ruled by sin. The picture Paul uses is when we, we have laid aside this old man, we have taken off the dirty clothes, we have put it aside when we became as a child of God, when he committed our lives to the Lord, and we have put on the new man, which refers to all that we are new now in Christ. New in Christ. So that begs the question, if we have done that, you ask, ask me the question, Pastor, why do we still sin? Why do we sin? Church, listen. While at the point of conversion, we are positionally put off the old man and put on the new man. But in practice, we must learn to put off the old man and put on the new every time we are tempted to sin. Every time we are tempted to sin. Let us understand what Jesus did to give us this position. At the cross, please listen carefully, at the, at the cross, Jesus paid the penalty of our sin. That's done. It's finished. At Pentecost, God gave us the Holy Spirit and His Holy Spirit is to dwell in us, enabling us to conquer the power of sin. For those believers, that happens at the point of your salvation. When you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that's the time the Holy Spirit is deposited in you. And God's plan to rescue us from all this sin in this world will occur when we are raptured to be with the Lord or when we physically die. That's the time God frees us from the presence of sin. So the penalty of sin is paid at the cross. The power of sin is even though it's still there, God has given us the Holy Spirit to overcome that. But the presence of sin will be eliminated only when Christ takes us home. So every time we are tempted and we will, we must know that we have the counselor who will continually nudge us to do the right thing. You know, church, all of us go to the doctors for one thing or the other. We go to the doctors because we really want to be healed and when you go to the doctor and doctor give you some prescription and medications and if you are not taking the medications, don't blame the doctor. It's the same here. The Holy Spirit is within you. It's prompting you not to do it. But you vehemently, you disobey and you want to do it. Do not blame God for that. Paul says that we will be able to overcome because we have the Holy Spirit within us. This is your position. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's move on. So we spoke of the plague. We spoke of the position. Now in verse, the second part of verse 10, we're going to look at the progress. What Paul is talking about here. Paul spells out three things about our progress in this position as the child of God. Let's look at that. In verse number 10b, he says, And I put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Church, please come along with me very, very patiently and carefully 
as I unravel the text, the progress of this new man. Firstly, as you look at this passage, look at it again, look at it again. The new man is created by God, not by our efforts. Let me repeat that. That's what you're seeing here. According to the image of him who created him. The new man is created by God. So Paul is actually referring, to, referring back to Genesis 1 where God created Adam and Eve in his own image. But the image was marred by the fall into sin. But Christ is the new Adam creating new people through the new birth. So what do we take from this? We cannot create this new man. You and I cannot create it ourselves. Our flesh has no ability to resurrect itself from spiritual death. The Spirit of God must cause us to be born again. That's why Paul, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That's what Jesus said. So becoming a Christian, living a Christian life is not a moral improvement project. It is not that. Where you resolve, I'm going to turn a new leaf and live a new life. It requires nothing less than God powerfully imparting new life to us. So without that new life, we are in the flesh. That's why Paul says, those in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8.8 8. We cannot please God in the flesh. So it starts here, church, that if you have not repented of your sin and trusted Christ of his death on the cross, you must begin there. You must begin there to become a new man. And only God can do that. So put another way, a life of truthfulness is not the result of determining to become truthful. It's not that I thought I'm going to be truthful from today onwards, but it is the fruit of the new man. So that's the first thing that we see in the progress in our position. Second thing, look at this, and he says, the new man is in the process of being renewed. As you know, I use the New King James Version. It says, who is renewed in knowledge? But if you look at the ESV, it talks about is being renewed. It's a continuous tense. It's called the eros tense. So this points to the pro process of growth similar to what takes place in our physical life. In our physical life, the cells of our bodies are constantly being renewed as we grow from infancy to adulthood. Being renewed. But church, stemming from the fall, our physical bodies eventually stop being renewed and start falling apart, isn't it? One day it will happen. That's why Paul says, even though our physical bodies are decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Our physical body is decaying, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. 
So if you had to draw a diagram of your physical body, it's a declining line. But if you do your spiritual line, it's an inclining line. This is, this is decaying and the other one is being renewed day by day. So the process by the renewing of our minds, which happens only through God's word, which is the truth. So His Word is the one that sanctifies and revives us. So as a new creature in, in Christ, we should, like the newborn baby craving its mother's milk, we must crave for His Word. We must crave for His Word so that we will grow in respect to salvation. But the point is, church, this doesn't happen instantly. You do not grow from a child to an adult instantly. It takes time. To grow the fruit of righteousness, which includes truthfulness, it takes time. And unless we are feeding with the word of God, we'll never be able to grow. But Paul says the new man is created by God. The new man is, is in the process of being renewed. And thirdly, look at this passage again. What Paul says here, the new man is growing in the knowledge of God. To become like Christ. Paul says that this new man which we have put on is renewed. What? In the knowledge of him. You are not renewed in anything else. You are renewed in the knowledge of him. The knowledge referred to the knowledge of Christ. And Paul writes in Colossians 2.3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this includes the academic knowledge, the head knowledge of what the Bible teaches about God and Christ, which is called the theology. So in other words, every one of us here, if you are a believer, you are a theologian. You all have an understanding of who this God is. But here's the big question, church. Is your theology... Biblically based, please come along with me. Is it biblically based or is it a cooperation or a mix of the Bible combined with cultural ideas and personal preferences? That's the question. It's important to have the correct theology, but we must grow to know God personally. Just the same way that you grow to get to know each other. It takes time. You spend time with the person to get to know the person. And the way that we are going to know the Lord, God, is by, is through the word, his word. So what happens when you grow in the knowledge of our creator? Please come along with me. I'm connecting this to the, to, to, to the truth. As we come to know in the knowledge of our creator, what do we understand about the creator? The Bible says God the Father is the God of truth. Jesus says that he is the truth. John 8.45, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So as you begin to know him, we begin to imitate him and we will become truthful. So as new creatures in Christ, God created by God, growing to be more like him, we must put aside all lying and falsehood, but we must be growing to become people marked by truth, just like God just like the Son, just like the Holy Spirit. Let's move on to verse number 11 now. So Paul is saying, 
to the saints in Colossae. This is a very important section as he closes this. And also to the saints that seek us here. And saints across the globe. Church, this is, a, this is more than an individual process. That's what Paul is saying here. This growth, this process, this progress is more than an individual thing. We must be truthful because, and Paul says in the last verse, we are going to read that, of our partnership as we are members of the same body. We have to be truthful. Look at verse number 11. Where there is, Paul says, neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, no circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. That's what Paul, Paul is saying. So Paul uses these categories here, these groups of people, because they are related to the situation in Colossae. That's why Paul is using here. So what are the problems, the heretical teaching? Please come along carefully. Legalism, ceremonialism, philosophy, knowledge, and practices. Those are the issues. Paul is addressing those specifics when he mentions these groups of people. Listen, church, Paul is saying their legalism and ceremonialism are met with the words, there are no Greeks, no Jews, no circumcised, no uncircumcised. Their pride in knowledge is confronted with the words, there are no barbarians, no Scythians. The barbarians was originally the one who didn't speak Greek. The term barbarian means that. Because whose language, as far as the Greek is concerned, you know, as the Greek has got this superior feeling or complex, I would say, they would always, they, 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 they looked at people who didn't speak Greek as people's language sounded like ba, 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 ba. That's why the term barbarian came. So it came to refer to an uneducated, uncultured foreigners. The word barbarian. Syrian is something different. Scythian is, 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 is for the savage and the cruel people. You know, Joseph as the famous Jewish historian, he, he says that leaks about the Scythians. They delight in murdering people and are little better than wild beasts. So picture this. There are Greeks, there are Jews. There are circumcised, uncircumcised. And there are barbarians, there are Scythians. And he went on to say there are, there are slaves and free men. That's what he says here. Maybe he's mentioning because he is sending uh, the back the runway slave, you know, the Onesimus, to his owner, Philemon, who is living in Colossae. So he's talking about all these groups of people. So what do we take from this church? The fellowship including, the fellowship of the believers includes the Greeks, the Jews, the barbarians, the Scythians. It was unthinkable in the ancient world. It was unthinkable. They cannot come together. Yet this is precisely what happened in the church. Because Christ demolished the cultural barriers separating men. The separate group of people mentioned are not accordance with the truth of one new man. If you are a new man, there is no distinction, church. There is no distinction. 
the truth of the one man consists of Christ the head and his united body. The body may comprise of people of all different groups. White, yellow, green, red, whatever that you want to call. It could be the Greeks, the Jews, the circumcised, uncircumcised and so on and so forth. What do we learn from this church? It's true we cannot change our ethnicity and race. But these differences should not matter in the church. Why? Because Christ demolished all the barriers separating men. Unless there's a language barrier, if you ask me, there should not be separate ethnic churches in the same locale. Because everyone should be able to come together. Listen, church, the glory of the church is when people who would naturally be separated from one another in this world by race, ethnicity, culture, color, and creed come together as one body in Christ. Come together as one body in Christ. The world can't explain it because it's only due to the new birth. They wonder how can they be united when their races are fighting outside. This defeats the typical church growth strategy as well. Sadly, today, there are people who say people like to go to churches made up of their kind of people. Some choose the practices to suit the millennials. Some choose the program to suit the old folks. But it brings glory to Christ and is a vital part of the witness to the world. When young and old, rich and poor, representing every local race and culture, can worship together and work together because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. It brings glory to God. When the old, old couple come along with the younger couple and help them understand how to have a Christ-like marriage, and to rear their children in the Lord. It brings glory to God when the younger people in the church can, can rely and need the older folks for their experience and wisdom. It brings glory to God when the older people need the younger people for their youthful zeals and ideas and the technical know-hows that they possess. It only brings glory to God when people of different races Colors, creed, can come together in Christ. Church, that is my passion for seekers. And that should be the passion for this church, for every church. You know what, church? Even as we look outside, we see problems in some part of the world. And we are trying to resolve issues. And I want to tell you this, unless, unless, there is Christ. The unity is not possible. The peace to any nation can only come under the umbrella of Christ. Love, nothing else. That's what they are learning here. 
the Greeks, the Jews, the circumcised, uncircumcised, slave and free and, and, and barbarian, Scythians can only come together because Christ broke those barriers. And Paul caps it off so beautifully here with a brief phrase that sums up both this letter of Colossians and the entire Christian life and church. Christ is all and in all. There is no place for man-made barriers in the church since Christ is all and in all. Because Christ indwells all believers are all equal. There is no one superior to anybody, anybody else. He breaks down all racial, cultural, social barriers and makes believers into one man. And that new man is you and me. You let me summarize what we learned now. We looked at the plague. Do not lie. And he had other plagues as well. Sexual immorality, greed, anger. And he said the position. Why? Because you are a new man in Christ. And he said as a new man in Christ, there is a progress that's happening. Because you are created by him and him alone. But you are renewed daily. And you grow in his knowledge. And when that happens, church, Paul says, there is partnership. Christ with each other. So in conclusion, here's my exhortation. Seekers is made up of people. This church, look around, you can see. People are different color, different ethnicity, different language. Jews, Greeks, circumcised, uncircumcised, bar barbarians, Scythians, slaves and free and many others. Christ has demolished the barriers and separated by men and united us together. Your relationship with each other within the body depend on the truth. On the truth. Getting to Not a superficial thing, not a surface thing. Getting to know the truth about the other person and revealing the truth about yourself. There must be truth in love so that we can properly relate to one another as God's people, helping each other to become all that God wants us to be. Church, here's the warning. If there is deception or withholding of the truth, there'll be correspondent, corresponding distance in the relationship. So here are the two questions I want to leave with you for you to think about. The first one, are you walking truthfully before God? Starts with that. Are you walking truthfully before God? The second question, are you walking truthfully with your family and with the family of God? the family and family of God. Church is easier to be superficial and hide behind a mask. It's easier not to clear up relational problems by going to the person speaking the truth in love. But, but if we don't make the effort to relate truthfully, we don't reflect the new man which we have put on in Christ. Are you walking truthfully before God? Are you walking truthfully with your family and with your 
to the family of God. If you are truly a born-again believer, you will do that. If not, let us confess. The Bible says if you confess, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us. He will cleanse us. He will restore us. Can I ask you all to stand, please, as the worship team comes? I just want to close in prayer. And before we sing the final song, just rise, stand with me. We'll give a minute for them to come before we start to pray. And as we come together, as we prepare our hearts to pray, can I ask you to just to examine yourself, own self. Whom have I cheated? Where have I said lies? A deception. God, forgive me. If you come with a contrite heart, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us. He will make us right today. So shall we pray together, please? Close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the message today. Thank you for reminding us that we are all new men. New men in Christ, you, have, you are the one who created us. And we thank you that the old self has been removed from us. And we realize and recognize the continuous process. But today as we stand here, as we reflect on our own lives, Father, we have led lives, lives of lies. We have not been faithful to you. We have not been faithful to, to the family, to your family in church. I pray that you'll forgive us today. I pray that you'll, that you'll cleanse us today. I pray that you'll make us as people who are truthful. Because God is truth. Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. Help us to imitate you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.